Hey, welcome back to Constructive Liberty, a podcast dedicated to helping you design a lifestyle of freedom and create a life and career you love. Today, I have a very special guest on the show, and he is a regular contributor to the Expert Council on the Survival Podcast and the Prepper Broadcast Network. He is a content machine. Um, he releases a podcast or different various content five times a week between his YouTube channel and his podcast. He runs a successful handyman business in Alberta, Canada with his wife and twin 11-year-old daughters. He shares the workshop podcast three times weekly where he focuses on preparedness, independent living, home maintenance, tools, and entrepreneurship. He says, in my mind, there's nothing better than entrepreneurship to give you the ability to live a free lifestyle. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. Freedom through entrepreneurship. I can't even say these words today. So with that, I want to welcome the real Tim Cook onto the Survival Podcast. Hey, how are you, Ken? Doing fantastic. How about you, Tim? Not bad. And that would be, like you said, the real Tim Cook as opposed to that fake one that runs Apple computers, you know? Right. <laughs> I even have the email to prove it. So, Right. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so tell us a little bit who and what a Tim Cook is. Sure. Well, I don't know how I'd live up to the introduction that you gave me. It was uh, rather <laughs> glowing. So thank you. <laughs> it was, but yeah, so uh, I don't know the Cliff Notes version. Me and my wife, we live uh, on the prairies of Canada. If you don't know where that is, some some of my American friends call it Northern North Dakota. So it's, above, <laughs> it's way up there. Um, it's been known to be said that I live closer to Santa Claus than I do Florida. And it's <laughs> right. Really true. Uh, so it gets cold here. We were talking about earlier, but five months of the year, we have snow, frozen ground. The frost level here is 10 feet. So if you want wow. to bury anything, you got to go way down. The but yeah, so we, we run a, we got a, a multiple entrepreneurial ventures at this point, but uh, my wife runs a daycare. I run a handyman business and a content creation business. And we're most recently launching a, um, private label coffee business. So we're quite excited about that too. So always yeah, going to have fantastic. something on the go, right? Oh yeah. When, once you master one aspect of it, it's on to the next venture, right? It is. And <laughs> once you learn the the skill set behind it, it can apply to a lot of different avenues, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting how most people want to know the how-to of something, when if you can actually just grasp the concept and really understand it, you know, it applies pretty well across the board. And if you can get that little mindset shift, I think it is, it's it's amazing what you can do just across the board with different ventures. It is. And that, you know, that mindset shift, that's tough because I struggled with that for... I. I got to first off, you know, showed up my wife, Becky, because if it wasn't for her, I'd probably still be stuck in that old mindset, you know, <laughs> but you, you do that same, you know, nine to five or whatever your job happens to be. And you do it for a week and then a month and then a year. And all of a sudden a decade's gone by and you're doing the same thing and you're working all year with the hopes that you might get a 15 cent an hour raise at the end of the year. If your boss is happy with you and he can justify it. Right. And mm. so at that point, you're like, what am I doing this for? And I'm not saying, you know, it's not for everybody, but you have to, I don't know, you have to be upset with the status quo and you need to finally say, okay, because it's not as difficult. It can be a little bit scary. It's not as difficult as you think, but everybody's just so used to working for someone else that you really do need to flick that switch in your brain. Yeah, for sure. For sure. How, how did you get started flipping that switch in your brain? And go from working for the man, like you said, that nine to five job that stretches from a week. You know, I'll start my business when I've got a little bit of money. <laughs> and like you said, 10 years later, you're still working for the man. How did you make that transition from working for the man to starting your own handyman business? Well, you know, it's like, it's kind of like being an addict, right? You're addicted to going to work every day. And so I, I worked at a hardware store for about seven years. Well, closer to eight. So, you know, better part of a decade anyway. Yeah. And I loved my customers. I love selling building supplies. I was also addicted to taking on responsibility. And I took on more and more and more. And every, you know, every time somebody would give me some, I'd say, yes, sir. Can I please have some more? You know, <laughs> and, uh, and I would. And for more responsibility with very little increase in pay, whatever, mm -hmm. right? 
So I was getting more and more frustrated. And Becky, my wife, she's like, you just, just, you need to walk away. You, you, you need to do something. Anything will be better or you're going to end up dead. Right. And I thought, oh, okay. So I flicked the switch and I, I did, I quit without a plan. So don't do that. That's a bad idea. <laughs> and, uh, eventually we, you know, I, I did a couple of odd jobs and I was very happy with it. Discovered I really liked working outdoors. And I said, you know what? We, I hopped on a plane. I flew with like not much money in my pocket. Let's just put it that way to Alberta to work in the oil patch. Mm. And I loved it. And I was still working for somebody else, but there was a lot more independence there. Um, everything crashed in 2015, the worldwide price of oil, you know, Mm. so I lost my job. Becky lost her job. I decided to go back to trying to do the entrepreneurial thing and it didn't work as well as I'd hoped, but I had flicked that switch, right? I knew I needed, I I knew I didn't need to be beholden to someone else. And so I, I tried for a while, couldn't make any money or didn't make enough money, panicked. And what did I do? I went back to selling building supplies again. (laughs) Yeah. It's such an easy thing to do when, you know, I get used to, I'm also a handyman. So I get used to having six, eight weeks of work lined up and suddenly I've got only two weeks of work lined up and I'm freaking out thinking that, you know, what am I going to do for my next income, my next piece of income. But then I've, you know, after you get used to having two weeks of work, you know, it's, it's that mindset thing you talked about earlier so you you mentioned something that I want to go back to, um, or I wanted to go back to it until the question left me. <laughs> uh, don't you hate when that happens? You get going on, on one little rabbit trail and it's like, I forgot where I wanted to go with that. But in, in starting that working for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, so often people think they're not going to be able to find customers or or figure out who to sell to. How did you go about creating that customer base for your, for a new business. It, it's not easy, but it, but it's not, it's hard work, but it's not difficult. Right. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And Mm -hmm. it, and I never want anyone to, to look at me and be like, Oh yeah, it must be nice. You know, it worked for him, (laughs) but I like, because it, it was a struggle, right? I'm first off, I would say like, look everywhere. So just, go on all the social medias, everything you can. Uh, Facebook was huge for us when we, so I, this is how I launched my handyman business, which has morphed a ton over the last five years. But basically what my handyman business was, was an umbrella for I'll do anything for money within reason, of course. Right. Most of them start up that way. Yeah. Because (laughs) you will, right. You're just, I'll take anything I can and I'll do it. You know, I cleaned interior, some people's vehicles, um, you know, cleaned up, dog mess in people's backyard. Didn't matter. I do anything, right? So I go after anything and everything you can. Be flexible at what you're looking for and be uh, militant about going after people. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but if you see somebody post on Facebook or on Nextdoor or on uh, Craigslist, hey, I'm looking for someone to come and clean my gutters, message them right away because that's your job. If you're, if you're not at your nine to five, your job is to find customers. So mm-hmm. I, I was lucky cause I was doing, I was working at the, it was a farm supply place, but I was selling building supplies, but Becky was a stay at home mom at the time. So she would jump on things all the time and help me find a lot of work. And then, you know, just keep going after it and think outside the box on the things that you can make money at. If you can make money at it and you can do it, then go after it doesn't matter what it is. And some people will say no. Some people will say yes. And each customer you get is another customer in the pot and someone you can pull from or contact in the future. And not everyone turns into a long-term customer, but I will say my very first two jobs, I still have them as a customer today, five years later. Wow. That's awesome. It's when, when you find when you treat people right, it's amazing how, how much they'll keep coming back to you. Talk a little bit about, um, you said when you first started your handyman business and a few of those items that you jumped mm-hmm. on, what were a handful of the items that were the most uh, beneficial to you in getting started? Like the things that people kept coming back to that helped you build that service base? <sighs> That's a good one. Um Okay, so of course, where you are, it wouldn't be quite as popular, but snow removal has been my 
moneymaker. Up until yeah. recently, it was always my biggest moneymaker. Right now, we just wait till noon and then it melts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what we hope. We just, you know, we wait for three months and it might melt, but it, but it has. So, um, and you know, you can look at it and think there's other things as well. But up here, at least, um, snow removal was a big one because nobody wanted to do it. So you always try to specialize in things that either people don't want to do or can't do. So snow removal, uh, garbage cleanup was big for us too. So if you have a truck or if you have a Dodge Neon with a trailer hitch and you have a little three by six utility trailer, whatever it is, you know, go and pick up people's garbage, haul it to the dump and charge them for it. Charge them dump fees, charge them your time, whatever it takes, right? Mm -hmm. Those were, those were two big ones. Trying to think what else, a little bit of lawn mowing, just anything, you know, people, uh, if, if, if you're a big burly man, well, don't have to be a big burly man, but you know, we, we specialized for a while in moving heavy, heavy stuff, right? Nobody else would do it. So yeah. I had a call one day and somebody said, we have a cast iron boiler in our basement and uh, the plumber was supposed to remove it two and a half years ago and it's still sitting there. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, we can do that. Sure. And I show up with, I don't even know what we had. We didn't have much, just a little furniture cart, which was undersized for it. So the guy's like, hey, I bought this cart and it was a big, beefy cart. He says, you guys can use it. So the two of us, it was was 400 pounds and we had to take it up, I don't know, 13 or 14 steps and out onto a deck without wrecking someone's floor. And we, we did it. It was difficult, but we got it up there and I ended up trading the guy uh, part of the work for that cart because he had no use for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, yeah. It's interesting how you you pick up some of these jobs and and it's like why did I ever do that? Let's let's maybe shift my focus here a little bit and, and try to avoid those things. That's that can be backbreaking labor, but a lot of times that's what it takes to get started. It so we honestly we made a lot of money uh, moving heavy stuff for a long time, and it was our bread and butter. And of course, uh, this last March, last year, I turned 40. And so it just sort of happens. And we moved a dentist, her office from across town over to a new town or over to a new office. And it, she had a six foot wide by six foot high um, filing cabinet with the big pullout drawers. Oh, wow. And they, they refused to empty it. And I should have refused, but I didn't. And I don't know why I didn't. And I wrecked my back. Like, I mean, wrecked it to the point where just to roll over in bed was killing me. And I, I went to a chiropractor. So if anybody's ever, never gone, they, he was a genius. Like I sent him a Christmas present. He fixed me that good, you know? And so, but I've moved on and we really aren't doing a lot of heavy lifting anymore because I have too many other things, you know, it's a young man's job. So <laughs> take into account here, because if you, if you hurt your body too much, that's your money maker, right? Or, you know, if you can't work, you're not making money. So don't take on something that'll kill you. Yeah, for sure. A uh, Having a good chiropractor on retainer is is a must-have in the construction industry. <laughs> it is true. Yeah, for sure. How, how did you kind of figure out where your uh, your price point was in getting started? You know, oftentimes it's hard to know how to value your services, did you just jump in and throw a number out or, or what was your kind of your thought process going into that? Well, I, I would say the first thing is that 95% of people listening and 95% of potential entrepreneurs are going to want to under underprice themselves to start out with. You're always going to second guess what you think you're worth. You're always going to want to, you know, you're always going to be scared. You're not going to get the work. So you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to price it at this point. And the first thing I'll tell you is if you price something too low, internally, you're going to know. You may not know the instant you start the job, but halfway through, you're going to realize, oh man, this sucks. And you are going to, you're going to despise the job the whole time because you didn't charge enough. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, a a good, um, someone I look up to quite a bit and has given all of us a lot of advice would be Jack over at the survival podcast. And, uh, he always said that you should be a little bit uncomfortable when you give somebody a price. And I would say to add to that, I would say, especially early on, you know, once, once you've found your price, you're probably okay, but, and you get more comfortable with being uncomfortable. So you don't notice it so much, but when you first start out, when you give somebody a price, 
you should be just a little bit on edge. Like, I don't know if they're going to take it or not. Right. And then I always listen to my, to the market. I let the market kind of dictate the price. So a good rule of thumb for me was if I'm getting 50% of the jobs that I'm pricing, I'm happy. That means I'm right on that edge. And if it, if a lot of people are saying, whoa, that's not enough, or I mean, that's too much money. I'm not taking it. Then I'll lower the price on the next one. Uh, or if I'm getting a hundred percent and everybody's like, oh man, that, that's a pretty good price. Well, that's <laughs> right. right? And yeah. it doesn't happen overnight. I, it took me a solid year to really, like I can go to a job now for the most part and I can look at it. And within 30 seconds, I know how many hours it's going to take me. You know, I, I can, I can almost, unless something crazy happens, I can almost know exactly how long, at what time in the day I'm going to finish that job simply because you kind of know, but you don't learn that right away. So you're going to take some suck jobs where you're like, oh man, I wish I'd have priced it better, but just take that as a lesson and be like, okay, I'm going to put my price up next time. And then you'll find your point. Mm -hmm. Amy over in the comments says my Amy from a farmish kind of life. Uh, my dad owned a construction company for years and definitely had to get to the point where he had to turn down certain jobs because his body was just too wrecked to do it. It's it, that gets rough, especially when you get, a little older in years and you just can't quite do what you used to do. Mm -hmm. And it can be hard on an older man's pride for sure. Like my dad, he's, he's going to be 60 this year and he's still one of the hardest workers I know. I mean, I'm 35 and he can get out there and work circles around me. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's a part of a, that is a mindset from that generation too. Like they're not going to let anybody outdo them. And some they, of them don't. <laughs> the, the, I always call them the old timers. My dad called mm. his dad the old timers too. Mm, but yeah. They knew how to pace themselves more than anything. Uh, and I, I think that comes with age too. You, you know how to get like the guys that can get a lot of work done in a day and not make it look difficult. You know, like my son, I used to, when we used to do um, firewood, we used to burn firewood and he would start, he was a teenager and he would start like a bull in a china shop and he would be way ahead of me stacking firewood for about the first 20 minutes. And within an hour, he'd be ready to give up. And I'm like, we got about five more hours of this to go, buddy. <laughs> Come know? on, man, keep up. <laughs> yep. And so, yeah, they, they're really good at pacing themselves too, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, how, I was going to ask you another question. I'm, I'm really bad at that going yeah, off down a rabbit trail. <laughs> um, talked about how much you charge and it's really interesting how, when you, when you price yourself in a certain market, you attract a certain clientele. And as you, as you raise those prices up, you know, getting uncomfortable, like you talked about, you attract better clients. I mean, it, yep. you don't want to classify clients at least to their face, but as, as a solopreneur, you do. I mean, you have, you have a client base that you're shooting for to help support you. You get better work, you get better at your craft and you want to hit that, you know, slightly better clientele. But oftentimes then that takes you into a different, uh, doing different types of tasks. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, would, is what you do, do you do bigger projects for the most part? Or are you like one off couple hour, one day, two day jobs? Where, where is your niche in, in your business? So I, I really don't like big projects. I, they, they, they grow hair on them really quick for me. Uh, I, they're just, I like small, I, I don't, I don't like to be honest. Um, okay. Back up a little bit. For the most part, I do like one-off jobs, you know, something I can do in three, four or five hours and I'm done. Mm -hmm. Right. But one thing, one exception to that is empty rentals. I don't mind going in and fixing up an empty house for, a month straight. I could do that, you know, all day long. I did that for about three to four years with all. So I, I have 11 rentals I look after for a couple and we renovated a whole bunch of them. And they're, they're just, it's one of the best things in the world to go in there and do that. But for me and my, my business has changed completely. Like I've had, I, the odd jobs I basically can't do anymore. I just, I don't because I've, I'm, I'm up, at, I just picked up 12 more. So I'm at about 40, total units uh, that I look after for um, that kind of stuff. And it has been, it's been, 
changing. And that's the funny thing about a business is you, when you start in one place, you don't know where it's going to end up. And I started doing all the little tiny things and, and that's okay. And you can keep doing it, but you also want to have some stability in what you make and what you do. And this property management between snow. So my snow is, you know, five month contract. So I know roughly what I'm going to make for those five months of the year. And now as I've kind of stumbled into property management, I now have a base salary for the entire year that as long as I do my job and I, you know, which I love to do, I know exactly how much I'm going to make and then whatever I want to take above and beyond that. And it gives me, it still gives me a lot of freedom because property management, you just have to be available. But a lot of times you don't get a call. I mean, there'll be a day I'll get four calls in one day and then there'll be two weeks where I don't get a call, which is, Mm -hmm. gives me a lot of freedom to work things around. For sure, for sure. What what is the time commitments that you kind of figure on for the snow removal and the property maintenance? So the okay, so the crazy thing about snow is it doesn't take as long as you would think, especially up here. Like even so, even on okay, I I have I think it's twenty six this year. I had twenty six properties that I did snow for, which for the most part means sidewalks, walkways. And about a third of the properties have their driveways as well. So if I get up in the morning and we get what I call like a Florida sand, you know, it's like just a little dusting of like sand that blew out on, you know, mm-hmm. that other years, other than this year, that is the common thing. That's about what we get almost because once it gets to minus 40, all you get is kind of like that real fine dust, right? So I, I wear a backpack blower and I drive around and less than two hours in the morning, I'm done almost every time. On the dumpiest of dumpy days, like if it's coming down, like, you know, uh, just gangbusters, takes about four hours with a snowblower. Um, and then on the days where it keeps snowing, then it's like another, you know, usually I'll wait until it comes down completely for the, for the houses, but the businesses and schools, I do them three or four times in a day. So there's days you really work. Wow. And then property management, you know, I, once every two weeks I have to drive the five hour route to check on all my bank properties, which are like empty repo houses, you know? Mm -hmm. And then the other stuff, it's just kind of hit or miss. Like if I have somebody moving out, then I know it'll be a little more work. Uh, Then I plan, like I had, um, we had a set of bathroom taps that went on a customer or on a, a renter. So I had to take a day and haul out the wall, put in new taps, put up a new tub surround and, you know, so I kind of scheduled in, but I would say, a couple of day, maybe a day a week for property management at the moment, but then sometimes it can go all crazy, right? Yeah, for sure. It it tends to ebb and flow like that. Do you? This might be a question you don't want to answer. As far as pricing yourself, do you kind of have a, a set hourly rate that you shoot for, or do you have like a service list that these things cost that? for people that may be looking into starting their own little handyman business. How did you go about that? I guess trying to figure out how much you wanted to bring in. Yeah. So remember the more you make per hour, the less hours you have to work to get your, um, cause everybody has really when it comes down to it is you have a yearly number or a monthly number or a weekly number that you want to bring in. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I first started this, I'm almost ashamed to admit it, but I was charging $15 an hour. And I would go and just labor as hard as I could for $15. And that didn't last very long because that's when I went back to working for someone else, right? And then I would say, so first off, don't charge by the hour if you can help it. At least that's been my understanding. Um, You'll make way more money per hour if you charge by the job. And people are happy. The, The best way I explain it is, windows. I do a, I do a fair business in cleaning windows, right? So if I went to a customer and I said, I'd like to do your windows, but I charge $100 an hour, they're going to have kittens and they're going to say, <laughs> and leave, right? Yep. Because, and the next thing they're going to do, if they are crazy enough to hire you, or at least in their mind, they're going to watch you and they're going to be sitting there on their watch, watching, making sure you're not taking one break, one phone call. I'm not running to the store to get soap or whatever happens to be, right? But if I tell them I charge $5 a window to do the windows and I show up and I do 20 windows in an hour, they don't care because I did 20 windows because number mm-hmm. one, they know how much per window. They know ahead of time how much it's going to cost them. And 
They also think in their head, if I did these windows myself, it would be a whole afternoon. So I'm not just saving money, I'm saving time. So for me, and this sounds absolutely insane. If you'd asked me five years ago, I would have said, you're crazy. I try to make $100 an hour at this point. And for the most part, I do. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's a great thing to shoot for. And I definitely have found in my own business too, <laughs> like you said, when, when somebody asks, what do you charge an hour? You know, you throw them an astronomical number, they think. But in, in reality, that that's what it takes to, to get it done. Because if you want to take home your base salary, even at, say you want to take home $30 an hour, you know, you've got your insurance, you've got all kinds of costs on top of that, that other people don't think about because they're still in that nine to five mentality that this hourly is what I take home. They don't recognize all the costs that go oh, into it. I and had, those things add oh, up. <laughs> no, you're good. So I, um, I, I, I like telling the story, but I had, and we talked about customers that you might not want as much. And so when I first started, I, I had a big a big push into the elderly. And what I found out is you, you try to help them, but they're on a limited budget, period. And you just can't, you know. So anyway, I had an elderly guy call me last year and he wanted me to haul a mattress and box spring out of his garage. And I said, okay, it'll be $50. And he just about flipped his lid. How can you, and for starters, my minimum is 75 so to show up and haul anything from a house, it's 75, one item. Mm-hmm. And because anyway, and I thought, oh, he sounds like an old guy. I'll give him a, a break on the price. Well, I, that was my first mistake anyway. So he, this was the second time he'd called me. I'd forgotten it was been a couple of years previous and he, he got kind of ugly with me and I, I kind of wasn't in the mood for it that day. And I said, <laughs> listen, I said, what do you expect you can get for $50 at this point? But, you know, I have to have commercial insurance on my vehicle. I have to have $2 million worth of liability insurance, which costs me $5,500 a year at this point. That's a lot of money. And then I normally have to have another man with me for anything large to help me load and unload. And then I have dump fees when I get there. I said, how much of that 50 do you really think I put in my pocket at the end of the day? And anyway, so needless to say, he hasn't called me back. <laughs> uh, yeah, they. Uh, that's good when you can price yourself out of that kind of market. <laughs> so kind of moving on to the main topic of what we wanted to talk about, freedom through entrepreneurship. Yes. How exactly does entrepreneurship help you to live a more free lifestyle? Uh, in every way possible, I think. Um, it, it. There's so many things, but just one example is – with everything that went on for the last two years with, and wherever you fall on the, on any of those topics, it allowed having my own business allowed me to make my own personal choices for myself Mm -hmm. without having to worry about my employment or what my boss might think or any of that kind of stuff. So that, that was huge. So freedom of choice was great. And that's always the way freedom of schedule is awesome because I could choose when I work, where where I work, how much I work, for how long I work, within reason. I mean, you can't be an absolute Yahoo and expect to keep working, but you you get to make your own schedule. And who doesn't want to make their own schedule? You know, I can work. (laughs) Yeah. And I can do at eleven o'clock in the morning, I can do an interview with Ken and not worry about it interfering with my business or job, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then oh freedom of money as well. That's you, you get to choose how much you charge, how much you make. And if you've made enough for that week, you can call it quits or you can keep going, right? I mean, you it, it's it's crazy when you think about it. But when I was working before, I was making $15 an hour working 40 hours a week. So what do you, you do that math? What's that? $4,600 a week, right? Right. At $100 an hour, I only have to work six hours in a week to make the same amount of money I was making for somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take long and you can find, and I'm not saying you're going to do that right away, but it doesn't, it doesn't take, you can work half as hard working for yourself and make twice as much money. Yeah. Often you can, sometimes it works out the opposite way. (laughs) If you, if you underprice something or like I do a lot of uh, deck projects Mm -hmm. and right now with the fluctuation in lumber, I just did a job that 
the lumber, the materials for the deck ended up costing me, I think around $4,000 more between the time I priced it and the time I ended up buying the materials. So I'm high enough on the labor side that I'm fine, but it's, it doesn't always work out that way. And I mean, it's a pretty good size project. So it, by percentage, it wasn't that much, but it it does, it can bite you on some of those things, (laughs) but yeah, good. There's good and bad aspects to that. Any of those jobs at this point, I, well, at one time, I wouldn't give any more than 30 days on them. You know what I mean? But now I don't even know. I don't know if I'd give two weeks on it. I, you I know, know. I really, I, it would be tough. I, yeah. I, I feel for you, man. Cause it's, we've never seen markets quite like this. It's crazy. I mean, it, and it, and it doesn't take, you know, just a couple of days. Typically a hardware store, they would stand behind their, behind their quotes for like 30 days. I think right now they might be two weeks. At one point they were seven days. I think they would wow. stand behind their quotes. So it gets really tough when your schedule is six, eight weeks out and you tell the customer your quote's only good for 30 days and they're like, okay, go ahead and do it. Well, then you got to buy the material at some point to keep that quote. So then you're sitting on that for two months till you can get to the job. It's sometimes you just want to pull, pull your hair out. I know for some of us, that's a little more difficult than others, but we're not going to go into that one. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I had to throw that one in there. No, that's all right. Uh, some people think that kind of like um, with homesteading that it just costs so much money. You know, you, you get in that mindset that it costs more to do things for yourself. And sometimes it does, depending how you go about it. What do you say to the person who wants to start their own business, go off on their own venture, whether that is doing a handyman thing like you and I do, or, or starting a computer repair shop or whatever that might be for them what do you say to them to get started in that? Yeah. So this, this takes me back, you know, we, you and I are both on the fireside freedom and this, this exact reminds me that the night we were talking about entrepreneurship and we had a, a question or a comment that, you know, I, I can't remember. And I feel so bad for this poor person. Cause I've used this illustration in a bunch <laughs> of times, but they basically said, I've got a whole bunch of ideas to start businesses, but they're all too expensive. So what I would say is, however many good ideas you have, first off, look at whatever one is the cheapest to start, if that if you have to. Start there, even if it makes you the least amount of money. If you can get started and start bringing in money, you can take that and turn it into something else. But what I would also say is, if you have a bunch of good ideas, but they're all a little bit expensive, come up with another idea that you might not love as much, but that you can do for basically zero investment turn that into a business until you've made enough to launch one of those other businesses Mm. instead of sitting there and saying, I can't because I, you know, like we, we did that with us. And I I hate, I always hate, I don't want to brag about it because geez, we came from an awful spot for a lot of years, you know, and we built my handyman business using the tools I had on hand, you know, old, old tools and old garden tools. And I, I bought things as we went, but my wife wanted to open a daycare. Daycares are expensive. You need, there's just so much involved. And so once we got all seasons maintenance, that's my handyman business, to a point where it was making enough money, we were then able to take the extra money and open up Busy Bee's daycare. And it took a few months. We didn't do it right away, but we were able to take the money from all seasons and keep throwing it into there to the point where it was ready to launch. And now it's making a pretty good income. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, there's so many different avenues of that. And, you know, we talked earlier about mindset, how much of it costs too much to start what I want to do. How much of that do you think is a mindset where the person is actually trying to find a cop out to not start something? I think so. I mean, it's hard to hop in somebody else's brain, but I know I made a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of different excuses, you know, there's the must be nice crowd that always look at everybody else and they're like, Oh, look, you know, or, or like when somebody says, man, your YouTube channel just blew up. And you're like, no, it was hard work, you know? Right. Yeah. So there's that. And then there's, there's the other side of the excuse makers too. Right. And it's like, I don't, I deep down inside, they're either too scared or just don't want to do it. And that's okay. You know, but don't, don't use the story. I can't because 
blah, blah, blah. You know, there's, there's always reasons, you know, <laughs> you see the, the, the videos online of the, the guy that changes tires with one arm or the one arm bodybuilder. I mean, they didn't make excuses. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the, the 10 year overnight success. I think <laughs> a lot of that is too often people look at somebody who's 10 years in like a Tim cook and, wow. and they say, you know, he's, you're so successful. How'd you do it? I could never do that. And they don't realize the, all the sweat and tears that went into, you know, working nights and weekends, taking the, taking those odd jobs to get to where you're at now, to where you have that freedom, where you have the income that you want. You have those jobs that aren't quite so hard on you. And, and it, I guess they psych themselves out of starting because they, they think they have to be where you're at tomorrow. I think they've got to get there in one step. It is hard work. I mean, I, you know, and it is a little scary, but it, it's it's certainly rewarding. You know, like I, I I tell it all the time. But when I was working at the farm store, you know, before work, during work, after work, I would go and clear snow for my customers because I was taking on a few of them. And you have to do that for a while. Yeah, for sure. How did you go about learning the skills that it took to to do the things that you the services you started offering in your handyman business? I just focused on things that took zero skill. (laughs) (laughs) So I know like at this point you offer services that take skill, that take knowledge. If somebody wants to, to get into computer repair, cell phone repair, building decks, where do they start finding those skills? Yeah, there's so many ways, but for me, I always had a, I I know I joke, but I started with no skill, you know, but I, I I have a personal rule that the first time I try something, I try it on my own property. So for like siding, I resided my house last summer and that was the first time I'd ever done it. So I did it for myself. And whether it was shingling or building a fence or a deck, I always do it at home first because mm-hmm. number one, it saves me money. And number two, I can do it without any pressure. And I've graduated from the University of YouTube on many occasions and it's really good. I just... You know, if there's something, if there's been times I've been up a ladder and I'm like, how do I do this? Pull my phone out. I'm like, <laughs> okay, that makes sense, right? Yep. And it's all there. Also, find other people. So there's a guy here in town named Sean. He's pretty handy. And his health has gotten kind of bad over the years. And when I first started out, I had never worked with metal roofing or metal siding in my life. I Really, everything I've done, I hadn't done at one point, right? So I said, hey, you know, Sean, you're doing metal roofing. Can I come help you for the day? Yeah. And he ended up paying me. I didn't need him to pay me, but he did. And I got a whole new skill out of it. Same with cushion floor or vinyl flooring. Uh, The guy that I look after the 11 apartments for, I had never done vinyl flooring before. And he's like, Hey, come along and help me. And again, he paid me to be there, but I would have done it for free. And now I've done five or six of those jobs myself just because I learned from someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So somebody now we've taken away the excuse of it's too expensive to start and I don't have the skills to start. What about the person that says, you know, entrepreneurship takes special people. Like, <laughs> I, I can't do that. Is that true? Or is that, is that a fallacy? I like, you know, the pat answer, the answer that you give on a 45 minute podcast is entrepreneurship <laughs> is for everybody. But it may not be for everybody, but I think what's fair to say is it's for almost everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some people who just don't want to do it or don't have the stomach for it. And I'm not going to, everybody find it's, it's like losing weight. Everybody finds a way to make it work. Right. But when I say entrepreneurship's for everyone, I think the freedom that comes with it. So it doesn't mean you have to be full-time entrepreneur. You could have a very, very, you know, a, a side hustle, like for instance, in the spring, when the snow melts here, it's like excavating do- do- uh, dinosaur bones. You know how you get to the different layers, right? Right. So people's yards here are absolutely full of dog poop. And if you wanted to make an extra thousand or two thousand dollars a year, you could go around and you know I, I charge about a hundred dollars to do it. It usually takes forty-five minutes to an hour to do the average yard. So if you book ten or twenty yards in the spring, and that's all you did in a year. Who couldn't use an extra one or two grand, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean it's for everybody. Or, you know, garden tilling. Go rent a garden tiller and book, you know, say you got you to gotta till up your own garden. So you rent a tiller to do your own and you book six or eight other gardens for $100 or $150 a piece. Who doesn't want an extra $1,000 in their pocket plus paid for their rental to do their own garden? 
Yeah. Yeah. So again, it sounds kind of like it's back to that mindset thing, actually believing that you can do it and setting out and just, just go do it, you know, just, just start in whatever you see. But along with that, oftentimes comes something that we call imposter syndrome. Like, you know, yeah. I, I do this thing, but am I, am I really a handyman? Am I really, oh. can I be an entrepreneur, even though I've done it for the past 15 years? <laughs> what, how do you deal with that? Is that something that you struggle with or that you see in people that you talk to? Yeah, no, I do still. There's days. I think you find, I, I get it, especially on those really crappy days, you know, those days where everything's gone wrong. But it, it, I will say that over the years, it does mellow a little bit. You know, you, you do eventually maybe get a little confident or cocky and that that's okay. But I still, yeah, like, Nobody ever give nobody ever gave me other than Becky permission to be an entrepreneur. So you never, you know, you don't. I mean, I guess you could, but you you don't typically go to university and graduate with a bachelor of arts in entrepreneurship for the most part, you know. And even if you did, that still doesn't make you an entrepreneur. That just means you learned a bunch of stuff in a book. So it, it's always a struggle, no matter what you do. The longer you do something, you can you'll feel a little better. But I, I do. I, it's the same with content creation. You. Because you can always look at somebody who's more successful and think, wow, they're successful, right? And and you try not to because you really should focus on whatever your own definition of success is. But I do. Yeah, I struggle with imposter syndrome still. And uh, if anybody tells you they don't, I, I, maybe they're the 1% of the 1%. <laughs> they're I think faking it. Are, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody struggles with that from time to time. I mean part of that imposter thing is a little bit of fear and fear in a good way can drive you push just a little bit harder, do 1% better than the next guy. And that's what actually puts you, drives you to success, I believe. Yes. So, you know, we've talked a lot about entrepreneurship and all of that, but I think the, one of the key marks of a, of an entrepreneur is that they take time for themselves, for their family to outside of that world. What do you do outside of entrepreneurship and preparedness, which is a lot of what your podcast is about, I believe. What do you do outside of that to, to enjoy life? I, I will say I, I do struggle with that a little bit because, you know, being a handyman and being a prepper are, two of my biggest passions. So most everything, you know, and they're full-time jobs by themselves. And when you combine them, <laughs> yeah. And then throw content creation on top of it. You're right. And so like when we go out of town to go shopping, what do I do? I go to home Depot and I, I look at tools or buy tools or right. But you know, we, we, Becky and I try to chill. We, we watch movies when we can. I, I love movies. And of course then, you know, that was my thing that I don't in, or that wasn't part of any of my content. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, I'll start talking about movies in my podcast sometimes too. So you can't get away from it. Like when, when you're, when you're kind of doing a lifestyle content creation, it's always there, but try to turn it off, try to turn social media off. Um, I, I really was into baseball for, I love baseball. I'm a, I'm not a Braves fan. Sorry about that. <laughs> I am a Jays fan. I don't know if you can see. Oh, there we go. Yeah. I, I can never make it work on there, but anyway, but yeah, so I, I, in the evenings in the summer, I always really enjoyed sitting down and watching a game. And, and then really what we do the most is, um, just have the family over. Like we, our best friends are my brother-in-law and sister-in-law with their two nephews or our nephews, their boys. And we have them over and we'll have a barbecue and roast marshmallows and just sit out until it's dark or sit in the hot tub or whatever it happens to be. So you got to do things and then take your wife for a date once in a while. That's what I, I like to do. We, oh, yeah. Becky and I go out of town and just spend the day and go eat wings and get her grocery shopping done. Yeah, work on those relationships. That's that's yeah. a huge thing. Um, over on Float, Philippine Nomad said, my high school buddy and I practiced a lot on our own house and yards because our parents had tons of projects for us. Later, we moved on to low-maintenance landscaping jobs for neighbors who got wind that we had the skills and equipment. And it's so true how it works. You do one thing for one person, and it's kind of got that snowball effect, and more people hear about it. They're like, hey, I heard you can do whatever mm -hmm. X." can, can you do that for me? And it, and it builds pretty soon. You've got a full fledged business. I think that's where, where it starts there. Anything else you would say to, to somebody just starting off 
to to kick them into gear like you know they want to do it but they're a little bit afraid to what's something you would say to them to to just go get started well i would i know it's simple but I, honestly first off start you know like if, if you're thinking you want to just try it you're Worst case scenario, you're going to invest some time and you're going to get to the end. You're like, I don't like this. And you can always go back to what you're doing. But you absolutely, the the best side of it could be that you turn yourself, turn your business or your venture into something that's self-supporting and makes you self-sufficient. And you'll never realize how good it is until you get out of it for a while and get into doing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And there just, you find your your purpose and your passion in life. You find that independence and your freedom. And I, I I know I say this a lot, but if you're waiting for someone to give you permission to be an entrepreneur, I'll give it to you. Like you can be an entrepreneur. You that It's just like being a content creator. You wake up in the morning and you decide, well, it was like when, when Becky and I first got engaged, you know, at least there, I knew I could call her my fiance at that point, but it still felt weird. It was almost like I was waiting for somebody to give me permission to say, hey, you know, I this this is my fiance, not my girlfriend anymore, right? <laughs> and that that's how it is with entrepreneurship or content creation, any of that. You know, you don't most people aren't lucky enough to have somebody turn to them and say, Hey, this is what you can be. So you need to know you can do it. And I guarantee you, if you're out there thinking I'd like to try it, just try it and I'll bet you you'll succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe not the first time, but you you try, you learn, you adjust, and and you keep cool. going, keep moving yeah. forward. Here's the thing about success. Everybody, a lot of people have the mis, mis, they misconstrue the idea of it. So they think that success means the first time I try something, I'm going to succeed. But no, that you, I can almost bet you that the first 10 things you're going to try will fail. So when I say you'll succeed, you need to be persistent and keep going and you will find it because uh. it's just like being in a maze. I used to go to a maze when I was a kid and they would move the walls around and there'd be somebody up on top that could look and holler and tell you where to go. So they could see it, but you couldn't. And you'd come to a, you'd, you'd turn a corner and you'd hit a brick wall or sorry, a, a wood wall. And you turn around and you go the other way and trying different things in entrepreneurship is like those dead ends. You hit that, you turn around, you go the other way. And eventually you will find your way out. It might take a week. It might take a month. It might take 10 years, but if you're persistent and you're going to stick with it, you will find success. Yeah, for sure. That's so true. Back to that mindset thing, that persistence is probably the number one key to success. Oh, hundred percent. Yes, that is more than, more than anything else. Persistence is, and you're, Oh, one, one more quick thing. You're going to have a day in your business where you want to give it all up. You want to quit and you want to turn around and go and go back and work for the man. And for 90% of the people listening, that point right there, that is your persistence point. And yep. if you choose to keep going beyond that, I'll bet you'll find success. I, I won't guarantee it, but I will guarantee that if you turn around right at that point, you'll find permanent failure. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, different projects and doing things. What's what's one of the projects right now that you're working on that you're most excited about, whether that's in your business or outside of that? We've all got those little hobbies or anything that we do that gets us super excited. What's something that you're working on, even if you've never shared it before? This could be a first. I I may have mentioned it in passing. I, I love because we get a lot of snow up here, right? And so our winters are long and our summers are short. So a pastime in Canada, especially the frozen tundra of Alberta, is daydreaming for spring. So I am going to do a huge retrofit of the backyard this year. We started last year. We we built a 16 by 24 deck and we put a hot tub in. We extended our deck a little bit as well. It was good. We, we built a fence. and Yeah, so it was nice. But this year, I'm going to do a lot of landscaping. I'm excited. I just learned how to ride a skid steer the other day. Never, awesome. never learned before. So the plan is to tear up all the grass. And see, I get right excited. It's such a stupid little thing. But we're tearing <laughs> up all the grass. We're going to level out all the soil. We're going to put in in in-ground irrigation. We're going to put in a new gas line so that I can have a permanent furnace in my garage. We're going to put all new sod down. I'm going to build a cover for the 16 by 24 deck. I'm going to extend the deck from the back of the house. And we're going to do redo my entire driveway. 
And so, oh, and maybe if I find time, I'm going to teach myself how to do a cement walkway too. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a, that's a big project. It's going to take a lot of different skills. Is, is that another one of those things where you're trying to learn a new skill that you can market in the future? Sure. Yeah. Like the skid steer for sure, because I can see a day when I move more toward parking lot snow, you know, mm-hmm. and so the skid steer for sure. And I just, at this point in my life, most skills I learn are simply because I want to learn them. You know, they're yeah. a challenge, right? Whether the siding, I don't ever plan on siding people's houses for a living, but if somebody needed me to do a shed, I could do it. And I hired a guy a couple of summers ago to build a small little cement walkway for me. Never done that before. So now I'm going to learn how to do it. I mean, I could pay somebody to do it, sure. But I want to know how to do it because I like to be self-sufficient. And that's how my brain works. I always need to be learning something new. Cool. That's that's awesome. Tim, where can people find you and connect with you? Well, Alberta in person, if they want to come out. But, <laughs> um, the the well, a couple places. Toolmantim.co. So toolmantim.co. That's where everything. You know, I I have a YouTube channel uh, right now. I'm putting out. I've moved it to one review video a week. So I, I'm focusing. I focus on like Dewalt tools because you guys know I love Dewalt and um, uh, generators and that kind of stuff. And then the podcast at the moment is three episodes a week. May eventually go to four. Who knows? But. Um, they're all live on the YouTube channel as well. And you can find the workshop podcast in any podcatcher that's out there. Awesome. Tim, thank you so much. I'll drop those links. I've got a ton of links for where people can find you and connect with you. They'll be in the show notes. So I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Guys, definitely go check out Tim. Go follow his content. He puts out a lot of stuff. It's really interesting, highly informative. So check him out, follow him, and support him in any way you can, and do good work. Don't forget to go start something. You got to get it started before it will succeed. (laughs) 